Welcome back, creeps. Hey, everyone. What's going on? It's Sunday afternoon. It's rained all day. And it's just lovely. We're sitting here nice and cozy. Yeah, I'm nesting in my chair. It was quite hard to convince Dulce to speak into the mic for once. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) No, but it was quite hard to get motivated to stop watching Midsummer Murders and actually do something with our lives. Yes. And here we are. Hello. Uh, um, Today's patron of the week is Brianne. I think it's Brianne and not Brianna. I'm oh. almost sure it's just Brianne. Okay. Um, hello, Brianne. Hello, Brianne. Brianne. And also, I, Brianne. Am, I am drinking a hello. hibiscus LaCroix, which I'm pretty sure is Brianne's favorite also. Oh, good. Yep. See, I know. I'll listen. Brianne. Hello. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Do you have any news this week? Mm. No. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think let's get stuck into it. Yeah. What have you got for us, Dulce? I have a story. My sources are the Project Gutenberg ebook of Werewolves by Elliot O'Donnell. Oh. And Paranormal Fandom. I like the sounds of this so far. So indulge me because normally when I write notes, that's what I read here. But I wrote it in the style of a, of a story, like I'm narrating a ghost story. So I hope it comes across this way. Okay. So today we're going to talk about a branch of necrophilia. These kinds of people are out there. These kinds of people love dead bodies, but they love them semi-platonically. Okay. Yeah. The term necrosadism was coined by Dr. Alexia Epilard in 1901, who was inspired by a case he reviewed. Necrosadism is a term used for people who like to mutilate corpses. This case would also become the inspiration for Joseph Guislain, a Belgian physician. He coined the term necrophilia to refer to the condition under which people gain sexual pleasure from dead bodies. So this case inspired the term necrophilia and necrosadism. It just depended on who read it. Okay. Okay. In Paris, 1847. There was an investigation that was presented to a military council headed by a Colonel Mancelon. The reason for this investigation was because several cemeteries in that city, Paris, were being vandalized and violated. Graves would be dug up, corpses left out of their coffins, some near their resting place, and others strewn far from them. These corpses were not intact. They were missing chunks of their bodies. Someone or a group of people 
were eating these dead bodies. Once the bodies were looked over in medical, by medical examiners, they had determined that this was the work of human teeth and the same person. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it was one person. Correct. The hunt was on, and the police set about trying to catch this sick individual. It was determined that the first cemetery that was hit was the cemetery of Pere Lachaise. The caretaker on duty that night reported seeing a strange form move in the night. He claimed that the thing looked half human and half animal in the way it moved throughout the graveyard. The caretaker told police that he kept dogs with him that night and he took the dogs with him when he spotted the trespasser. The caretaker urged the dogs to attack the trespasser, but the dogs only barked and howled. They behaved as though they were fearful of this swift creature. News got out that the cemeteries were being targeted by some mysterious creature who had a taste for decaying flesh. Police and caretakers of Père Lachey were loose-lipped about the details of what was happening in the dead of night to those who had been laid to rest. As the number of vandalized graves increased each night, so did the police force that was tasked to catch this thing. Everyone was on alert and irate that there hadn't been any leads. Finally, an arrest was made. He was a young soldier who was seen entering the cemetery at night. He was cleared after confessing the real reason for these nightly visits was to visit a friend. This soldier swore that he would never dream of digging graves. How could he? The police, convinced that the soldier was not the miscreant they were looking for, let the soldier go. The real culprit decided that visiting the Père Lachey was becoming too risky. All eyes were on the lookout for him. He needed to branch out. In another cemetery, a little girl was being laid to rest. Her resting place was surrounded by her large circle of family and friends who loved her. They mourned her. What a shame to bury a child so young. The following morning, the sun rose and illuminated what became the, the little girl and her resting place. The freshly turned soil was scattered about and revealed the open coffin of the little girl who laid half-eaten inside of it. The community was livid. The father of the girl was arrested, but he was quickly set free. And again, the number of police on the case was increased so that this could never happen again, but it did. Again and again. The culprit eluded the police and evaporated just as quickly. They were chasing shadows. What kind of monster could have done this and would continue to do this every night after the incident with the little girl? What could have climbed the high walls that surrounded the cemetery? What could have forced open the strong iron gates that loomed the entrance to this resting place? An army officer, wise in his years of service, was the first to notice scratches on a 10-foot wall 
that was a part of the perimeter of the cemetery. The scratches went all the way to the top and he was convinced that this was where the creature must have entered. The soldier went to work to set up a trap made up of wire that if tampered with would set off the explosive that was connected to it. The officials kept watch and waited. At midnight, the explosion broke the deafening silence and set the police in motion. They saw and shot at what looked like a man who was climbing the wall with the stealth and ease of a spider, but he eluded them. Whoever it was left a trail of blood and pieces of a soldier's uniform. This villain was no creature of myth. He was only a man. A man whose existence would have been lost in obscurity had it not been for a nosy gravedigger. There was a group of young soldiers who were at the cemetery that were ordered to keep watch. They were talking amongst themselves about a sergeant in the 74th Regiment who had arrived at the military hospital, Val de Grace, with an awful wound whose origins were a mystery. Upon further investigation, this man, Sergeant Francois Bertrand, was found guilty of being the nighttime criminal that plagued the cemeteries. Bertrand confessed his guilt and claimed that he did not do these things of his free will, but that there was a force, a will outside of his own that compelled him to do these things, these horrible things every night, when he would transform into something savage. He insisted it was this force that made him exhume and consume 15 bodies in one night. He insisted it was this force that made him exhume and consume up to 15 bodies in one night. He also admitted to pleasuring himself after visiting every one of them. He proclaimed that this force was so powerful that he didn't need to carry tools with him to unearth his victims. He worked at the soil like a ravenous beast ignoring the pain and lacerations that this activity resulted in. He likened himself to a possessed animal whose sole purpose was to devour what he could of the dead, and then he'd retreat home after having his fill and fall into a deep sleep where he would mutate back into his former self once he awoke. He claimed that when morning broke, he would be back in control of himself. While in the company of the court of inquiry, he shared with them that he'd always preferred the company of animals. He saw himself as one of them and spent his days with them in areas away from civilization. He made himself at home in the woods or dry lands and felt that animals understood him best. This relationship continued and solidified for him as he became an adult. Bertrand said that it was after one of these outings that his appetites revealed themselves to him. He was passing a cemetery one evening and saw gravediggers covering a corpse that only just moments before had been given funeral rites. The gravediggers stopped suddenly as rain began to fall from the sky and they left the job unfinished. Quote, At the side of the coffin, horrible desire seized me. My head throbbed. My heart palpitated, 
and had it not been for the timely arrival of friends, I should have then and there yielded to my inclinations. From that time forth I was never free. These terrible cravings invariably came on directly after sunset. Bertrand was eventually evaluated by doctors who declared him sane, and merely had a fixation, an obsession for the taste of dead flesh of his fellow humans. He was taken to trial and had several people who could vouch for his amiability and how good of a citizen he was. The judge determined that a year in prison was all that was necessary. After his sentence was up and he was released, he was never heard from again. Is that real? Like, that's a true story? Yeah, I just wrote it this way. That's so fucking crazy. Yeah. He ate up to 15 bodies a night. Yeah. So what was Bertrand? Maybe this case is more supernatural than at first glance. It's hypothesized that Bertrand could be a ghoul. A ghoul, according to Elliot O'Donnell, can either remain in spirit form or steal the bodies of living beings, living beings only, either human or animal. They can do this when the spirit of the living person during sleep, either natural or induced hypnotically, is separated from the material body, or in other words, when the spirit is projected. The ghoul then pounces on the physical body and, often refusing to restore it to its rightful owner, the latter is compelled to roam about as a phantasm for just so long a time as the ghoul chooses to inhabit the body it has stolen. An important detail to note is that a ghoul is also one who robs graves and feeds on dead bodies. That's insane. El Fantasmo. Yeah. Um, so that's my story. What year was that? Like 1847. No, no, no. The, like the Elliot O'Donnell thing. Do you know when that's from? It was 2008. Oh, wow. That's fucking insane. Well done. So I have a additional story that um, goes into like the term ghoul, a case that is relevant to that term. And you guys are welcome to listen to it. On our Patreon. Oh, okay. Cliffhanger. Yeah. So <laughs> our Patreon, if you want to get to it, it's in our bio link on Instagram. So just click our profile and it's going to be in the bio. Yeah. We just found out this week that you, when people were searching us, that they couldn't, it wasn't actually bringing up our name for some reason. So we don't know how long that's been going on, but I have emailed them and hopefully we'll get that fixed. Yeah. So yeah, you can find out the next part of that story on there. Yep. Right on. Your turn. My turn. Hey, creeps. This is Editing Adam. I've got two quick things to say here. On our last titillating tales of true terror, we made a little bit of a mistake. And our listener, Haley just wanted to correct herself. and wanted to say that the land that they used to hang out around was Anishabe. I think I'm saying that properly, not Iroquois. And the second thing is, apparently I can't fucking read. The name of the source book that I'm using is Demon Song, Mark and Debbie Constantino as I Knew Them by Janice Oberding. Not Oberling, like I keep fucking saying. And every time I hear it, it's just 
more and more annoying to me. So it's Oberding. Kind of a strange name, to be fair. But anyway, that's that's my corrections for this week. Bye. This week, or this story that I'm about to tell was going to be for Patreon. But then it just got a little bit too juicy. So I'm going to tell it on here and do the other story that I was going to do. I'm going to put that one on Patreon. Cool. So this was requested by Danica. And I was like, why the fuck didn't I think of this already? So today I'm going to be talking about two, I'm going to say TV personalities. I don't know about TV star. Mark and Debbie Constantino. Do you recognize that name? Are they um, Zach Began's friends? Yes. Okay. okay. If you're a fan of Ghost Adventures, you might recognize their names. They were guests on a handful of episodes as EVP experts or something along those lines. Mark is a pretty big, baldish, gray-haired, not unattractive guy. And Debbie is a small, kind of older, like, goth lady, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think that was her, her style. With, like, notice. I think she was noticeably plastic surgeried. Oh. Uh, later on, especially. Uh, she had, like, red streaks in her hair and stuff like that. And, like, pretty heavy eye makeup. I'm really bad at describing people without just making fun of them. <laughs> so I was, like, you know, trying to just give an actual description. I think that that's about it. It's so, the Irish in you. Yeah, I think so. So if you know who they are, you know who they are. Otherwise, just look up pictures. Anyway, they were, like, I want to say on any of the episodes where the Ghost Adventures crew went to the Washoe, Washu Club. That was like their special place. This story is uh, a little bit gossipy, hmm. a little bit bitchy, mm -hmm. and probably a little bit all over the place, but I did do my best to try and put it all uh, in order. So when I was looking this up, because I had read about it before, like just myself, like, wait, like before Weekly Creep or anything, and there was like a handful of news articles, but nothing really going into detail. Anyway, I found a book by Janice Oberling, and she's an author who has like a handful of books to her name and um, like about haunted places and like haunted Las Vegas, haunted Nevada, stuff like that. And I will probably like read some more of her books, but the, this particular one. It was fine. Uh, it was a little bit bitchy. Again, that's why it's probably going to come across like that. Well, this is going to be different. Yeah, it was very bitter and full of typos. Mm. But she was very close to the Constantinos at one point. Interesting. And according to her, she was the reason they got their start in the ghost biz. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I don't think she, like, was telling any fucking lies or anything in the book. Mm -hmm. You know? So I'm pretty sure, like, it, that is true. The book is called Demon Song, Mark and Debbie Constantino as I knew them. So Mark and Debbie had met while Debbie was bartending in the late 80s, I think, early 90s, late 80s. They were married by like 1990, 1991, and they had twin girls, but sadly one of them died. Sienna was her name. She died very young. As with a lot of people, this is kind of what seemed to like push her more into the ghost hunting side of things. Now, Debbie had claimed that she grew up in a haunted house in New Jersey 
Whereas Mark said he was a believer, but he had never had any experiences of his own until he met Debbie. This, this whole story is a lot more like uh, heavy with like Debbie facts. Mm-hmm. More so than Mark, he seems to be a lot more quiet, even as a person. Like he was more, I guess, just like the silent type, you know? I guess you could say the author was probably closer to Debbie. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, I think like straight off the bat, she's certainly like the more fiery, attention-seeking one of the couple mm-hmm. anyway. So I think regardless of who you knew, Debbie was going to make more of an impression on you. I see. She's very confrontational and outspoken. Like one of the things mentioned in the book was that Debbie told Janice, the author, that when she was younger, she actually ran away from home. But like not just down to the shops. She went from New Jersey to Los Angeles. Whoa. Yeah, she just ran away. I don't know where she got the money from or like quite how old she was. But I'm pretty sure like a teenager Mm. hopped on a plane, went to L.A., and her parents are like, oh, she does this all the time. She'll be back. <laughs> so, <laughs> you the know 80s. what I mean? Like, the 80s, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's the type of person that she was, right? Yeah. Apparently, when Debbie first got into the whole, like, EVP thing, mm-hmm. she would present friends with recordings of what she believed was their lost baby, Sienna, although she was now grown up in the spirit world. That's one theory, apparently, that a lot of people have, you know, if... Uh, so like if a if a baby dies they can grow up in the like it's like a fucking choice i guess i don't know honestly but that is one of their theories they can come back as grown adults or whatever according to some the voice of the child was suspiciously close to debbie's own voice and when she was asked about this she would just say oh that's voice manipulation it's Mm -hmm. like a common occurrence apparently another theory is that people believe spirits can utilize living people without them seeing or even like being aware about it. Mm-hmm. So because like, you know, ghost baby doesn't have any fucking vocal cords of her own. Yeah. She can use Debbie's and uh, like Debbie's mouth might not move, but the sound will come out, but she won't hear it. You know what I mean? Okay. Seemed like a stretch, but either way, like this EVP thing, like, this is what got them into wanting to take this further. She was like, I guess Debbie was like, oh, well, I'm pretty good at this. I'm constantly getting, you know, answers. So she was like the driving force behind this. I'm going to call it ghost business. I don't fucking know what else. You know, this is why they became ghost hunters. That's fair. It seems pretty clear that they really, really wanted to just break into the ghost hunting TV show money mm-hmm. from the get-go mm-hmm. they were like seeing other people starting to make it this was around 2002 2003 mm-hmm. where there wasn't like you know such oversaturation of yeah like podcasts tv shows all that yeah and they were like we can make the big time here mm-hmm. that's not to say that they weren't passionate about like everything they were doing it's just that they saw the potential was there and that was clearly their goal you know like fame and fortune <laughs> they paid $49 each to attend William Hawke's online EVP course, which, when completed, gave them the official title EVP specialist. And they got like little diplomas that they could print off. And apparently they genuinely were the best in the business. 
They But at this point, they printed out little business cards and set out with the intention of helping people like them who had lost loved ones and stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, it seemed like a genuine effort to, you know, help people, but at the same time to make money at it. Yeah. Their relationship was toxic as fuck. Mm-hmm. Right. This is where it's going to start getting a little bit TMZ. TMZ. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mark told Debbie when they were in their 40s, this is just around the time where the author Janice and Debbie and Mark actually met. So he told her that, uh, you know, it was time to face it. She hit a wall. Looks wise, that was. Mm -hmm. She wasn't getting any better looking. So I don't know whether that was said in like an argument or just in passing. But either way, Debbie said, all right, then fuck you. I'm getting a facelift. Mm hmm. You're not happy with this. I'm going to fix it. You're going to pay for it. Okay. $25,000 spread across two credit cards. Jeez. Yeah. And Debbie was back to looking 20 again. Mark wasn't happy now because everybody was constantly complimenting her. Mm -hmm. And he was constantly being told that he could be her dad. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like they weren't rich people. Yeah. I mean, they were very regular, like nine to five workers. Yeah. So this was a huge amount of debt just for a facelift, just for a facelift. Yeah. So this was like I said, this was around 2005 by now. They had two daughters at this time as well, like the one surviving twin and another girl. Um, But they were starting to travel for their ghost hobby as all it was at this point. They would leave the two kids with Debbie's mom, who Debbie is said to have had a pretty tumultuous relationship with, but they couldn't leave them with Mark's family because Debbie didn't allow him to talk to them. Interesting. Yeah. On a road trip from Atlanta to New Orleans, they were starting to schmooze with people like, uh, is the only ghost show you've ever watched Ghost Adventures? No. Okay. So do you remember like Chip Coffee? Do you know that name? It sounds really familiar. Yeah, he's like this really, like, he seems like a really nice older guy. Mm -hmm. He's still, like, knocking around and doing stuff, but I think he's from, like, Ghost Hunters. I Uh, think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he was was a part of, what what was that name, the Ghost Hunter name? Because there is a couple of plumbers. Ghost Hunters International? No, um, Ghost Hunters... Because it's Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters. Yeah. And Ghost Hunters is a story. It, it's a group headed by these two guys that Dave are Dave Schrader and another dude. Yeah, and they're plumbers. Okay, well, whatever. Either way, I, I remember, because I would have been like starting high school around this time. And was it Chip Coffee and Medium? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Like, I'm going way off point here, but like, that's the type of people that they were like, you know, schmoozing with, schmoozing with. And like, I remember even like Schmier. back then, like this would have been when I started watching ghost programs. Mm-hmm. Like, remember that Most Haunted was like our English version. Yeah. And like me and dad used to watch, I think it was every Tuesday at like nine o'clock and shit like that. I think what got me into watching ghost stuff was fact or fiction. Remember that show? I don't even know. But what I'm, I'm just saying like. At that time, all these people would show up on each other's show. You know what I mean? Okay. It wasn't as competitive. Yeah. So anyway, Janice had been invited out to Chip Coffee, his actual house. Oh. For like a 
kind of a conference meeting kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like with a, a load of other people and Mark and Debbie, I don't know whether Janice invited them or Chip. Anyway, all three of them went to Atlanta to this function. And then from there, because they lived in Reno, they were like, oh, let's make the most of it. And we'll drive down to New Orleans and Myrtle's Plantation. Mm. Anyway, this is how all of their trips were for the next few years. It would always be Mark driving, Debbie in the passenger seat, and Janice in the back. Debbie would always unbuckle her seatbelt. The two of them, Mark and Debbie, were very heavy smokers as well. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she'd take off her seatbelt and turn around to face Janice and talk. Like mm-hmm. So that's how the conversations, and I don't know how they weren't pulled over. Anyway, this particular trip, from Atlanta to New Orleans, it was raining so bad that they decided to pull over and have lunch. And they were like, you know, oh, hopefully it'll pass over. It didn't. And they were on a tight deadline because the bridge, the, what is it? The Lake Ponchar train? What is it? Yeah. Ponch and train. Yeah. That fucking bridge was closing by nine o'clock for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So they had to just plow on like through this really bad rainstorm. Like it sounded just fucking awful. Anyway, Mark was the one driving. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, Debbie takes out her pocket mirror as she's having a cigarette. She's like smoking, checking herself out. And she starts freaking out that she has a growth on her nose. I don't know whether that just means pimple or what, but she's demanding Mark, who is trying to fucking navigate through this rainstorm. Mm-hmm. She's like, look at it, look at it. It's growing back. It's growing back, blah, blah, blah. So eventually Janice is like, here, like, let me have a look at it. She can't see anything, but Debbie's not happy. She keeps on and on at Mark and eventually he just pulls over on the hard shoulder in all this fucking rain just to look at her nose and say, there's nothing there. So now that he said it, she's like, all right, fine. And she falls asleep. But I'm actually going to quote from the book right here. She sounds like a toddler. (laughs) literally quote when she woke up she was in a sour mood lighting a cigarette she turned to me did i ever tell you about mark's first wife no she hadn't and no i didn't want to hear about it like at this point i had a choice remember janice is stuck in the back seat yeah she was ugly they were 18 and in the air force and the bitch still wants him do you believe that The fucker is still hounding him and my kids. Deb, Mark said, this is old shit. You know the ugly fucker is still after you. That's why we don't use our last name on MySpace. I don't want the bitch calling my house. She called one time and talked to my kids. I don't want that fucker knowing anything about us. But maybe you still want to talk to her. Debbie said, yeah, maybe you still want some of that, she laughed. Mark called her a fucking asshole. The rain had stopped and it was turning dark. Signs warned that the bridge across Lake Ponchart train would close at 9pm. Mark stepped on the gas. We've got to get across that bridge or we'll have to wait till morning. If he hoped that that would silence Debbie, he was wrong. She slid up close to him and started screaming again about his first wife's failings. The ugly bitch moved to California so she, so she could be close to you. You're crazy. You don't even know what you're talking about, Mark told her. What's the matter? Am I making you mad? You know what, Deb? You really are a fucking asshole. 
Why don't you just shut the fuck up? She lit a cigarette and turned to me in the back seat. You see how he talks to me? <laughs> I'll bet Bill never talks to you like that. I wasn't getting in the middle of this and changed the subject to New Orleans. But Debbie wouldn't let that go. I know what you're doing, she laughed. You're trying to get my mind off that fucking bitch. Can't you see? She doesn't want to hear all this shit, Deb. For once, why don't you just think of someone beside yourself? Debbie took a deep drag of her cigarette and exhaled. No one said a word. Several minutes passed. Mark, are we going to get across this fucking bridge before it closes? She finally asked. The first wife was forgotten as we wondered if we would make the 9pm closing. So that, to me, like, just signaled, like, this is a horrible fucking, like, can you imagine being Janice in the back seat? This girl just wakes up and that's the first thing out of her mouth. Yeah. Out of nowhere. So when they finally made it to New Orleans, Debbie got asked for ID at the bar where they stopped at. So that completely changed her mood completely mm. she even take she even took a picture with the bartender so she could put it on her myspace that this guy asked her for id <laughs> so and like yeah my next point is that whole new orleans trip just sounded like almost a babysitting job for both janice and mark and one thing that i didn't take note of but now that i think about it they were walking down um i think it, they said like they were walking down bourbon street and they got to a bar that had a lot of like uh, half naked ladies in it. Mm-hmm. So Janice and Mark both at the same time just like pointed in the other direction. Like, oh, let's go up here. Like, so uh, fucking Debbie, Debbie wouldn't, wouldn't get shit. Yeah. As they were walking back down, they realized that they were actually drag queens. And Debbie was like, oh, let's check out the drag show. <laughs> and Janice and Mark, who hadn't said anything to each other about it, just looked at each other and laughed because it was like crisis averted kind of thing. <laughs> but that's how, like, everybody seemed to be walking on eggshells around her. Yeah. Once, after a trip to the Stanley, uh, the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, or well, yeah, in Colorado, Mark went back home to Reno because he had to go back to work. And Janice and Debbie stayed on with another friend to hang out in Denver. Actually, and the friend was, you remember the lady who sat next to Ted Bundy in the suicide hotline thing as she wrote a book? Yeah, yeah. The Stranger Beside Me, I think it was called. It was her daughter. Hmm. Side note, anyway, yeah. So the three ladies were doing a lot of walking and like, you know, exploring Denver or whatever city they were in. And so Debbie had to stop and buy some like comfortable shoes. I think she was walking in heels. As I was reading this, I was like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? They were not very fashionable, just brown flats. When they got back to Reno the next night, around midnight, they had to call Mark because Janice's husband was supposed to come pick them up, but he had fallen asleep. Mm. Mark was not happy. Like, I guess he was working the next morning, whatever. The first thing he says to Debbie, where did you get those ugly fucking shoes? She said, oh, we did a lot of walking. To which he replied, they're fucking ugly. And Janice never saw those shoes again. Okay. I know that that was small, but I just thought it like, it showed that the relationship wasn't one-sided. Oh, how petty he was. Yeah, you know? 
and this is in public yeah like this is in front of their friends <laughs> like yeah Debbie was so determined to make it onto TV that she applied for that wife sh- wife swap show. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were accepted. So for those of you who don't know, wife swap was, I think it was for a week, right? I think so, yeah. Uh, literally, that's what happened. Like the a wife would fly to another person's house and stay with that family or just a husband for a week and, you know, vice versa. How did Debbie feel about having some random woman stay with Mark for a week? While she was away, she would simply have Janice play the role of crazy neighbor in mm. order to keep an eye on things. <laughs> Thankfully, they were disqualified when the show did a criminal background check and found out that Debbie actually had multiple DUIs in New Jersey and had had her license revoked, which is why she never did the driving on these trips. Mm. Uh, I don't know what the terms and conditions of the thing were but she wasn't allowed to actually apply for a new license that's pretty bad yeah she must have had a lot yeah so i i can only imagine anyway janice mark and debbie went to the goldfield hotel which as i was reading this i was like oh perfect because we just covered that last week mm-hmm. uh, and this was their second time going there they had gone a few years previous to this but this time they were actually going Mark and Debbie had been chosen to teach a class on EVPs because the older EVP couple had like retired. Okay. So it was a big deal and they were going to be on like a TV show called like fucking, you know, Paranormal College or something. Mm -hmm. But they were doing a few like small preliminary investigations before all this. Okay. So they could get it on local news and try and get more people to apply for the college and the courses. So they went to the gold field with a full TV crew. And it was a pretty big deal. While there, uh, Debbie picked up what was considered to be one of the best EVPs ever recorded. And like I said, they were there with the news crew. But it turns out the voice on the EVP was actually Janice. She realized this. Like afterwards she was like oh god wait no i was talking while she was Mm -hmm. recording and she tried to tell them the next day while in the car going to the next location but mark and debbie were both arguing over who was trying to steal whose camera time i'm pretty sure this was the first time they had ever been on camera Mm -hmm. and already they were fighting Mm. like debbie i think started it she was like why were you trying to steal all my fucking lines kept getting in my way And Mark was saying, well, I had points to make and you weren't fucking letting me talk. (laughs) In the meantime, Janice is in the back going, well, neither of you let me fucking talk. (laughs) And by the way, that EVP is bullshit. Yeah. And they spoke about it for a minute and then just continued fighting. Also, the night before, the camera and sound guy were going over the footage in their hotel room. Mm -hmm. And they said to Janice and Debbie, oh, come on down and like check it out. See what we've got. But when Mark heard this, he lost his shit. Saying like, if roles were reversed, how would like, how would that go? Even though Janice had been asked as well. I'm pretty sure this was a very casual. Oh, come on in and check mm-hmm. out what we got. Mark just didn't happen to be walking by or something. And he was saying like, oh, what? You're just going to go down to these two random guys fucking hotel room yeah, without yeah. me. Anyway. God, that sounds terrible. So fucking annoying. It sounds No, there's one word for that exhausting yeah yeah mark and debbie refused to acknowledge this tainted evp 
at another investigation on on Alcatraz, actually. Yeah, I don't know if, if they were the first people to ever do it, like a full on Alcatraz investigation, but they were allowed to sleep there and everything. It sounded really fucking cool. Janice captured a really good EVP at this investigation and she was really proud of it because it wasn't something that she normally got. Mm-hmm. But Debbie told her that because she recorded it with their equipment, it's actually the Constantino's EVP. It's not Janice's. That's dumb. Yeah. But they were like, you know, oh, we got to add this to our portfolio, basically. So things were like between them were kind of, this was the start of the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. You know, things were starting to like unravel a little bit. And like I said, these conferences, that's what I'm calling them. I don't really know how else to put them, presentations or whatever. This was how everyone back then met and made connections, like all in the the ghost hunter world or something, or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Janice had arranged one the previous year. And I think it was actually in 2005. I might have got this wrong. Anyway, she had arranged for Debbie and Mark to give their first presentation mm-hmm. at one of her own like pretty big conferences. And again, the likes of David Schrader and all these chip coffee, all these people were going to be at it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go so well, but it was their first one and they were able to meet with people afterwards. And once people got to know them personally, they realized they weren't as blocky as they were on stage, you know? Yeah. Anyway, the deal was anyone who spoke at these events got travel and lodgings paid for. And the chance to mingle and show off to all these other ghost people. In 2008, Janice was organizing another one and had made like MySpace posters and banners and shit, including Mark and Debbie on them mm-hmm. and all, you know, as guest speakers. But when she called to make final arrangements, they demanded a speaker's fee. Hmm. They were like, listen, we're not doing any more of this shit for free. And like that, that's just that's how it's got to be even though they were fucking friends. Janice was taken aback by this. She spoke to her co-organizer. She was like, look, I'll get back to you. I don't think we can do it, but I'll get back to you. The (laughs) co-organizer. If what is in the book is true, Mm -hmm. fucking tore them down. He was like, those fucking losers. We didn't even want them in the first one. We only (laughs) asked them because they were your friends. (laughs) Like, fuck them. We don't need them. And he was saying, you go back there and you tell them, go fuck themselves. Like, <laughs> And Janice wanted to, but at the same time, she seems like a little bit more reserved. So she was like, I'll wait a day. I'll call them back and let them know, like, look, we, we can't do it. So sorry. When she called back, they were like, you know what? We don't actually want the fee anymore. We'll do it for nothing. Like, we're sorry. But it was too late. Mm. Now, Janice was friendly with everybody in the in the whole scene yeah but around this time the big guys were getting big mm-hmm. so zach baggins nick groff and aaron i would say aaron of the ghost adventures crew they had like they were meant to work with janice on several occasions but due to scheduling conflicts in the past she hadn't been as involved with the show as she could have been mm-hmm. but she was still regular regularly in touch with zach Mm-hmm. who probably still, but definitely back then, actually organized all of their events himself. Mm-hmm. So she had been involved in one of the live shows. And like, again, we're going to watch this later because I really want to go back on it now. Okay. But remember the Washoe Club? 
shows where it's like anyway it was where they filmed their first documentary like the ghost adventures documentary they had gone back to do a live showing there and um like that janice was volunteering like you got free hoodies and food and stuff yeah and she had introduced mark and debbie at this event while there the ghost adventures crew were being interviewed by a particularly attractive journalist who also happened to be a dancer in vegas Mm -hmm. so i think she was writing for like one of those fucking men's magazines or something and the guys all seemed to know her yeah and at one stage she was getting her picture taken with the three boys so they lifted her up you know like i think aaron had her legs nick was in the middle and zach was just holding her Mm -hmm. and as she was getting down she spread her legs like she was wearing shorts like you know whatever way they put her down she spread her legs Debbie was convinced that she was flashing her puss at Mark. She's like, you see that fucking bitch over there with her nasty ass crotch? Oh, my God. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, some of these things I just had to put in because it was like funny, like horrendously toxic, but funny if you're looking from the outside. Anyway, the second Ghost Adventures live show was coming up the month after Janice's conference. Mm -hmm. And Mark and Debbie had been asked to attend. But they had already booked another thing in Tonopah. Okay. And this, co- this event was in Goldfield. It was only 30 miles away. Mm-hmm. And they were fucking raging. So they called Janice and asked her if she could get in touch with Zach and rearrange the whole thing just for them because, like, you know, she was more friendly with them. When Janice said just, like, cancel the other gig that they were doing, Debbie said... And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but like she said something along the lines of, you're just jealous because you weren't asked to do that show. Anyway, who is going to replace us? Literally anyone with a, a small recording device. Yeah. <laughs> so Janice is like, you know, kind of just, this is how, like they were getting, what's the, what's the word? Their egos were getting so fucking big at this stage. Yeah. Janice didn't make the call to Zach because like she wasn't, she was friendly with him, but like you know, she wasn't gonna be. Hey, look, my friends want to do this. She was just moving another week to fucking rearrange like two or three hundred people's worth. Of, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she wasn't fucking spineless. But when pictures of Janice's conference started circulating after it had taken place, featuring the Ghost Adventures crew, who by the way had attended as a favor, they didn't ask a speaker's fee. Mm-hmm. Debbie just commented on it, saying like, "Oh, I wish we could have been there." Mm-hmm. I was like, you fucking had your chance and you, you yeah. blew it. So soon after this, Debbie had contacted Zach herself and gave him a Class A EVP that she had recorded. Mm. You know what this Class A EVP was? The one that Janice caught. No, actually, no, it wasn't that one, but it was the one where Janice was speaking. Oh. So the one that Janice had said wasn't even an EVP. Mm-hmm. Janice actually went and got this analyzed by some fucking audio analyst who said it was either 99.2% or 92% Janice's voice on there. The book is full of typos and she mentioned both numbers, so I don't know which is true. But anyway, Janice called Debbie out and started throwing shade, saying that she thinks Debbie is pre-recording responses on her recorder and manipulating the recordings on Adobe Audition. This was the last time they spoke apparently good yeah good and bad because it it is still kind of sad you know like they were very close for a few years 
the thing is, there's, I mean, there's, they were just using her. Yeah, like so. There's nothing good about it, kids. If you ever see someone being toxic to any individual, whether it's somebody at work, someone far removed from yourself, and they still haven't done anything to you, it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. <laughs> Because they will do the same to you. Anyway. That's my PSA. <laughs> so after this, Debbie and Mark kind of like overtook Janice in terms of power celeb, mm. which is a term that's really thrown about in this book. And they had gotten themselves more like cemented in the Ghost Adventures uh, crew or whatever. And this is complete speculation by the author. But they may have actually fucked Janice over for more airtime on Ghost Adventures. Mm. And if it's true, it, it was really shitty what they did. But again, complete I feel speculation. Like it is. Yeah, okay. Well, I wasn't going to get into it, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, what had happened was they were going to Goldfield again. And I think they're. Janice had a slot booked in like the old bank or something mm -hmm. where she was to do like a mini investigation with Zach and the crew. And when she got there, she found out, oh, no, the Constantinos are in the old bank. You're in the graveyard. Mm -hmm. And it was also a shitty, windy day. And she had got like her hair and stuff done, you know, because she was going to be on TV. And so her hair was like out to here. She looked a mess. Mm -hmm. She still like she had the pictures in the book of her, Nick, Aaron and Zach all like, you know, being pally and stuff. But her sex and all was like cut from the show. It was really shitty. Mm -hmm. So she just said it was a bit too much of a coincidence. Yeah. To not be that. Anyway, apparently it was because of the Constantinos that we actually have that amazing Ghost Adventures episode where they go to the brothel. Now, I don't think this is the same as the strip club one. Then it's not the best one. Okay. Okay. Either way, they had some input in the show. Because the strip club is where we got was, to see zach twerking yeah that's the best <laughs> one and then he had the gall to get mad at aaron for laughing at <laughs> zach twerking yeah anyway apparently they had gained like a bit of a cult following in this pretty small diehard paranormal community and janice insists that they were famous but mark literally never quit his day job and Debbie always had jobs either as a blackjack dealer in Reno or a manicurist or a waitress. But again, they were far from fucking rolling in it. Like all these events, even the paid ones, mm -hmm. like they were only kind of breaking the bank on expenses and stuff. They had been openly bickering in public their entire career. Mm. I think some people kind of thought, oh, it's a, you know, their quirky little thing. It got so uncomfortable for most people though. Debbie was always the instigator, constantly drinking too much and poking fights with Mark or even just random fucking women who a lot of the time had paid to be there mm -hmm. and would be asking genuine fucking ghost hunting questions. Yeah. Even guys weren't fucking safe around Debbie. She'd be like, she would just start accusing them of being gay and wanting Mark. Yeah. One night in 2012 in the Washoe Club, People had paid $99 a ticket to attend and like also have the chance to investigate with the EVP experts. Some had even brought their kids with them. Mm. Debbie got fucking plastered. Good. Before, <laughs> <laughs> before they had even started. 
<laughs> so while conducting their session, stumbling around in the dark, like literally. That's hilarious. Yeah, she went off on Mark, calling him every name under the sun, like not being quiet about it either. Yeah. All these kids are just like, oh shit, <laughs> like, what's wrong, mommy? Good old devs. Um, yeah, she was later seen being held up by Mark as she stumbled back to their hotel. That is hilarious. The people who showed up were not happy. On another occasion, again at a Stanley Hotel event organized by Dave Schrader of Ghost Hunters, they got into such a bad fight that Mark just left and flew back to Reno before they had actually performed at an event where they had actually been paid to be there. You know what I mean? That's funny. So they were a fucking mess. Yeah. Cut to 2015, and they were scheduled to perform at Nick Groff's live event at Virginia City, home of the Washoe Club again. Nick Groff, for anybody who doesn't know, is one of the original Ghost Adventures crew. And he also has a Spotify. Yeah, he does. And actually, Mark and Debbie Constantino have a video on YouTube um, talking about his... Music. Like, yeah, one of his songs, how it really spoke to them. I think they actually might have helped write it. Oh, and he's also the host of Paranormal Witness, I think. One of those other shows. But word got out that they had both been involved with the police in regards to domestic abuse situations. And Not surprising. Yeah. Nick didn't want all that business coming into things. Like, I'm pretty sure Debbie was living at her friend's place at this stage. And Zach Baggins had openly taken her side in all of this. Mm-hmm. Which, for the most part, I think anybody would. Like, naturally, if your friends come to you and, you know, we're splitting up and there's a domestic abuse thing, you would generally go pr- to protect the, the woman in the thing, you know? Well, if the woman is... The Psycho. Be- no, if the woman is the victim, then well, yes. they were both victims here. I see. You know? Like, Mark had filed for a fucking a restraining order a couple of years previous where she had threatened him with a knife. Yeah. This kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway. See how it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But it was a messy, messy business. And she called Nick asking him to drop Mark from the bill. Mm-hmm. She's like, look, I'll just come out here, do my thing. And he was like, nah, you're all right. I, like, I'd just rather have nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Nothing against you guys personally kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. And the author does rightly point out, like, he was... Like, he has a family to support. He doesn't need all this shit being dragged Correct. into it. Correct, yeah. So this, at this point in the story, it does start to get a little bit, like, wishy-washy in the details. Like, I'm not quite sure the timeline. But Debbie had apparently been doing shows solo for a while. Mm-hmm. And the story that I think both of them had told the fans was that Mark had injured his leg while working his regular job. And he was now claiming state disability. So he couldn't be seen doing live shows, yeah, you know, in public ev- yeah, events, out and partying, etc. So that's why he wasn't with her anymore. Then a photo emerged of Debbie at the beach with Rex Williams and a bunch of other people. Now, Rex was another one of these paranormal TV show hosts. I can't remember all the fucking shows that are listed in this book are ridiculous. I can't remember. But in the photo, Debbie is actually in Rex's arms as they all posed. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a bunch of people standing in like the sea, you know, in the shallow of the, of the sea. I don't know how much like random Internet people are to blame for this. 
but it seems that this photo sparked a lot of rumors like oh where's mark and Mm -hmm. why is she in this man's arms i can believe that yeah but then mark came out and commented saying no no i'm at home poor me so he didn't help the situation at all Mm -hmm. this rex guy who is like really fucking handsome like built guy like you know what i mean okay he, he was a smoke show. I get it. You like him. <laughs> <laughs> but his wife and kids are actually on that trip. Mm-hmm. Like they just weren't in this particular picture. I'm yeah. pretty sure like his wife might have taken it. Mm-hmm. So he was like, look, nothing is going on. Debbie had a bandage on her foot. Mm-hmm. And so Rex had picked her up so they could take a picture all together in the water. All of the people who had performed at this event or whatever. So Debbie had been staying on her friend Summer's couch. Summer rented a house with a guy called James Anderson. And it was like five minutes from uh, Debbie and Mark's house. But when she moved out, she was like, you know, doing it for herself, doing the right thing, getting away from all this fucking toxic bullshit. Here's where things start to get dark, right? And I'm going to quote from the book again. But basically, Mark came up with a plan to get Debbie back. Quote, Mark and Debbie both loved their animals. Several years earlier, they had lost their dog, Sage. Inconsolable, Debbie cried for days on end. It was always the same each time a beloved cat or dog died. If nothing else would bring her back to the house they once shared, the thought of her dog wandering lost and scared would. So Mark called, Debbie saying, your dog's after getting out of the backyard. Like, you gotta come over here and help me find her. When she and a friend arrived at Daybreak Drive, Mark and one of the Constantino daughters were waiting. The pair allegedly yanked Debbie and her friend from the car and started beating her. So the daughter was beating her too? Mm Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mark dragged Debbie into the house. There he beat and strangled her while threatening to slit her throat. If not for the police, she said, quote, I would have died that night. Reno police arrested Constantino's 23-year-old daughter on charges that included first-degree burglary and first-degree domestic battery. Mark Constantino was also arrested and charged with first-degree kidnapping, first-degree domestic battery, and domestic battery by strangulation. Most believe these charges to be significant enough that Constantino would not get bail. He could cool his heels and his hot temper in jail, while Debbie tried to rebuild her life and her career. It wasn't to be. Both Mark and his daughter were released on bail. According to Colo TV, K-O-L-O TV, this whole incident actually lasted over an hour with Mark and the daughter Raquel beating on Debbie and the friend involved was Summer, mm-hmm. who she was staying with. She eventually managed, Summer eventually managed to get her cell phone I guess, back from Raquel or whatever was going on. And mm-hmm. she was the one who called the police. Otherwise, like, who fucking knows how long they would have been there. A photo emerged after this showing Mark looking like shit. And he claimed that he had actually been going through chemo and started using this against Debbie, like in court and all, saying, oh, you know, she abandoned me kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. But this also... Sparked up rumors about him actually having a drug problem. Just because that's how he looked, you know. Debbie filed for divorce on September 11th, 2015. A month after the whole dog trick. She requested temporary spousal support, attorney fees, and telling the judge, I guess, 
that that's who she was telling. I honestly don't know where the author, author got this information, but the author did interview Summer herself, who was housing Debbie at the time. She told someone anyway that Mark controlled every single aspect of their life and had bled both of their bank accounts dry. She also claimed that their business, Spirit Speak, was solely hers and that he was just tagging along. Mm-hmm. Now, that wasn't true. Like, Mark had put in the, you know, the hours and stuff on building up this business that they had owned, regardless of how successful or not it was. And like I was saying earlier, Mark had also filed for a restraining order against Debbie. This was six months prior after she had gone with him, gone for him with a knife. Um, but he took it back later. And in 2012, she had gone to stab him as well, or at least threaten him with a knife. On social media, Debbie seemed to be doing a hell of a lot better. She was out like getting her nails done, going out with friends and you know, all that usual shit. But she kept saying to her friend Summer, Mark is going to kill me. On September 12th, she posted some plan on Facebook or something. And part of this plan was to not live in fear and to enjoy life. Both Mark and Debbie were awaiting court hearings for their respective domestic abuse cases and charges of battery. Police had apparently made countless calls to their house, like over the last few years. And on the last one, they had actually broke down the door. So worried that her stuff was going to get stolen now because the door didn't lock properly. Debbie snuck over one day while Mark was out. She took all of her expensive recorders, which were, I can't remember the exact model number, but I think they're a Panasonic recorder. Okay. And I had actually looked into them before. When they first came out, they were like $30 or something. But among the ghost hunting fucking um, community, community. They were like, these are the best ones for EVPs. And they're still to this day, if you go to buy one on eBay, it's like $1,200. Zach Bagans has a load of them. And so did Debbie and Mark. Okay. But they had paid top dollar to get them, like six, $700. Okay. Even though they didn't have that kind of money at the time. Yeah. Anyway. So she took them. She took her lingerie. And I'm sure other things too. What she left behind, however was the urn which contained Sienna's ashes. Sienna was the little girl that they had lost in the early, like early on in their relationship. Mark wrote bitterly on Facebook that she had to have walked past those ashes at least 40 times. How the fuck can someone do that? But apparently Debbie had set up a little altar to Sienna in Summer and James's house mm-hmm. where she was staying. Yeah. And she just said that her other daughter, Sienna's twin, would never let anything happen to them. Yeah. So, again, there's just more of this, like, petty kind of yeah. back and forth. So on September 22nd, 2015, 10 days after Debbie's post about, like, you know, her plan to not live in fear and to enjoy life, Summer's boyfriend drops her home around 6 a.m. This was a normal thing for her. She would spend the night at his house get dropped home, then he would go to work or whatever. Mm -hmm. This time she noticed that the garage door was open and the bathroom light was on. This was unusual, but she went on in anyway. She found James, Jimmy, on the floor. Initially she had thought that he had just passed out, but then she saw that he was actually in in a puddle of blood. Who is James? James was the other person living in this house. Oh, okay. So... Debbie was sleeping on the couch. 
Summer and James were renting the house. I see. So, yeah, she ran back outside and called her boyfriend to come back. He was literally just down the street. So he came flying back up the road and went in to see if Jimmy was actually still alive or if he was okay while Summer was outside calling 911. Jimmy was not okay. He had been shot in the head. Summer's boyfriend went to check on Debbie and she was nowhere to be found. Summer believes that Mark snuck up on Debbie while she was in the backyard smoking. What happened next, we'll never know, but poor James got shot in the head anyway. And when Summer got into the house, she noticed that there were wine glasses and vodka on the counter and cigarette butts in the sink. It had to have been from Mark because like Debbie smoked outside and the other two didn't smoke at all. At all, at all. And also the wine glasses that were on the counter were from Summer's like good wine glass collection that mm-hmm. she didn't actually use. I guess unless she had company or something. So she was like, it was just unusual stuff. We don't know exactly what happened next, but Summer believes that Debbie knew that, she, that Summer was going to be coming home soon and so got Mark to leave with her so, so Summer wouldn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what happened, Mark brought Debbie to the courtside garden apartment where their daughter lived at the time. But as I was reading this, it also said that it was unfurnished and the daughter wasn't actually there. So I'm not sure what was actually what the situation was, but I know that Mark had been living there because he said that living in their own house was just had too many memories. It also didn't have a functioning front door, so that might have something to do with it. The police knew them, like knew them well when they got the call. They knew the address, they knew the names. They had all met them before pretty much on their various fucking domestic abuse calls. Yeah. And they tracked them down using their cell phones by 11 that morning when they knocked on the door they heard gunshots followed by a man telling them to stay away he was shouting saying i just want 15 minutes 15 minutes blah 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 so the cops didn't shoot back in or anything they all ran called the swat team negotiators the whole lot this led to a two-hour standoff the whole like blocks were closed down the, the local school nearby was on fucking lockdown and when negotiators showed up, they were met with one last gunshot from the apartment. They blew open the barricaded door and found both Mark and Debbie dead. Apparently, Mark had actually shot Debbie twice, point blank in the face. And that was the point that the author made, like, you know, her, this was her pride. Like, you know, she was always kept herself so well. And mm-hmm. anytime they traveled, she had five bags. <laughs> Literally, there was a whole story that they couldn't check into their plane because Debbie had fucking five bags, one purely for makeup and hair stuff, and they were there for two days or something. So it was a really sad ending. And after this, a whole load of accusations started coming out. You know, Mark was possessed by the devil because they were ghost hunters. Debbie was cheating on Mark with this James guy. They were None of them were true. It was 26 years of an abusive toxic marriage and by the end of it one of them snapped that it just happened to be mark so there was like weird shit around the death in terms of like their daughter who had helped beat up fucking thing three days after debbie and mark's death one of the constantino daughters i can only assume 
it was Raquel posted on social media that while her father Mark was in heaven watching over her, her mother Debbie was burning in hell where she belonged. Now, obviously that didn't help your one's case later in court either. Mm -hmm. She was locked up for like six months and uh, sent to AA and all this kind of business. But either way, Debbie was buried on October 17th, 2015, which would have been her 53rd birthday. Mm. So yeah, that is the story. I'm glad I read that book and I did think as I was reading it, God, like this is very bitchy and whiny, but it, it did paint a good picture of like it was a, a a look into their marriage that otherwise wouldn't have been seen. Like any of the newspaper reports said, yeah, there was domestic abuse and the ones that didn't go down the whole demonic possession road, that was all like there wasn't a whole lot of information. So, yeah, there you go. That's the story. And it is very unfortunate, but good job. Um, <clears throat> I didn't get any whiny or bitchy, so you must have like combed through it very well. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, like and like that again. Uh, Janice Oberling, the author of that book, they had fallen out like a few years before uh, their death, but they all got back to, or they had arranged because as well after this. You know, half of the ghost hunting community took Mark's side, half took Debbie's side, blah, 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 all this bullshit. So somebody arranged uh, a celebration of both Mark and Debbie at the Washoe Club in the November of 2015. And Janice Oberling went to pay her tributes. And when she got there, there was only 13 people showed up. You know, so it was just really fucking sad at the end, all in all. There was some really nice stories. You know, of all three of them being doing their thing, different ghost hunting events and stuff like that. But um, yeah. Well, all right. Then, there you go. On that very sad note, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you asked for it. No, and I'm pretty sure the the news outlet that one of the news outlets or among the news outlets, I probably wrote and ran with the story of demonic possession was oh, probably yeah. Fox News. I purposely didn't open the Fox News articles, but yes. <laughs> but <laughs> there was, it. like, interestingly enough, there was one mention in the book where uh, Debbie was talking about an old apartment where they had lived. And again, the book would take a regular person probably two hours to read. It took me a whole day. But if you want, it's on Amazon, Kindle and all that. But anyway, they, were, they had been living in whatever apartments. And Debbie says that she, you know, sensed evil there. and. She said one morning she woke up and Mark woke up in the bed beside her and it wasn't him. You know, like his whole face had changed, blah, blah, blah. And she was talking to him and he like responded weird. And eventually she was like, Mark, come back kind of thing. And then that was it. So I think that quote was circulating somewhere mm. and didn't help the whole thing. Yeah. But another thing I will say as well, because. The, what the book was good for as well was they had been to a lot of places. Janice and the Constantinos together and separately. But the stories of like Myrtle's plantation, the night they booked in to stay there, uh, it just happened that the woman who had owned Myrtle's plantation for 10 years had come back just for one night with a group of friends just to spend the evening there. And it, she said that it was the most active that she had ever seen it. 
But a lot of it also sounded kind of sensationalist. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it was genuine. I don't know. But another thing that they said was in Denver Airport, which is supposed to be really haunted and has a load of conspiracy theories behind it. They were going to the restroom. They had just gotten in and they had dropped off their bags. And naturally, the first thing I think anybody fucking does is finds the restroom in an airport. So Dave went to the men's and they were going into the ladies. And this lady, this woman pushed a cleaning cart in front of them and said, sorry, restroom's closed, but not for you two. And then they looked at her and she had a gigantic, well, sorry, it said a large upside down cross tattooed on her face. And so Debbie and Janice genuinely had to pee, but they were like, oh, do you know about the ghosts here? And she said something along the lines of like, yes. They live in the mirror. And so they were like, oh, wait right there. We'll be right back. They went in to pee. And when they came out, she was gone. Mark was standing outside the toilets waiting for them to come out. He was like, I didn't see anybody. Weird. Yeah. So it was full of like really interesting little tidbits. Yeah. So but not I'm, for you two. Yeah, but not for you two. Were you going to watch me pee? Yeah, it was very much like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. pee on you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was also a really cool, like, little look into what the ghost hunting community was before Instagram. Yeah. And people, like, oversaturation. Yeah. And stuff. Like, life just seemed nicer 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Because, genuinely, I, I had a fucking great time outside reading in the rain today. Okay. So, I guess that's it. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We are, most act, act, we are most active on Instagram, but follow us wherever you want. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, which according to our statistics, most of you do, oh. please uh, rate and review. If you want more of this solid gold content, please follow us on Patreon. If you want to buy nice weekly creep merch, check out our Redbubble. All this stuff is on our link, our link tree. Or you can actually go to weeklycreep.com. Whatever you want. If you have stories, please send them to weeklycreep at gmail.com because we fucking love your stories. Give me your stories, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's pretty much it, right? All right. Yep, that's pretty much it. All, All right, right okay. gotta go because I gotta pee. All right, bye. Bye.